Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, a show where a father and son sit down and talk about fantasy. I'm the son, and that I... Fiction. Fantasy. Fiction. Sure, I guess. Technically, that is correct. (laughs) I'm the son, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim. Thank you for joining us for another of our, what we hope will be, amazing episodes. Fingers crossed. We'll do our best. How you doing today, Zach? I'm hanging in there. I uh, got my first pair of prescription shades today. I've been... Future's so bright? Well, I guess. No, but I've been sitting around for years wearing glasses and just suffering whenever the sun's out. But I finally invested in going, no, 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 no. I want to be able to wear sunglasses. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, they looked good on you. Why, thank you. And I saw you took them for a test walk. Not oh, it's test a nice run. sunny day, run. so I just test walked walk. around. Yeah. How you doing? I am doing dandy. Nothing really unusual in my week. Well, you know, that's not true. As a matter of fact, I do want to share some of the things that have happened that were pretty cool in this past They week. have been quite cool. First of all, I want to talk about Talk Around Riyadh, the Wheel of Time showcast, a podcast that I've mentioned on the show before. They're great. Absolutely. Joe, Jen, and Tom they are fantastic hosts as they share some news about what Amazon's doing and preparing for their TV show that will come out. We're hoping in November now. We're hoping. Fingers crossed. Maybe earlier, but probably not. And that would be November 2021, depending on when you're listening to this. But in addition to talking about the show, then they also dive into Wheel of Time related content. Mm-hmm. They've covered all sorts of things. And they invited us on, on their most recent episode, If you're listening to this when it drops, then this episode of Talk Around Riyadh is already available. We're recording here on a Sunday, and it's going to drop tomorrow. What they did is they... Well, if you remember back to our 13th episode, which was a midweek special, Mm -hmm. we did a fantasy fellowship draft. It was a lot of fun. Neither of us won. (laughs) Fantasy football style. We got three other podcast creators to come on board with us, and we all drafted our best fellowship teams, drawing from any and every fantasy fiction series that was out there. Well, the Talk Around Riyadh crew, they do listen to us as well, and they had heard that episode. They loved the idea, and they decided they wanted to do the same kind of thing just for Wheel of Time. You know, there's a couple Mm -hmm. characters in Wheel of Time you might be able to draw from. Absolutely. Only like 2,780-some or something (laughs) like that. a ton. And that's just the named ones. Yeah. You know, and they invited us to come on and be guests for the draft, so those three, us two, we had a five group that had a lot of fun we're not going to give any reveals no it was a lot of fun but if you want to know how it went go give it a listen that's right so their entire podcast is great but that specific is episode 84 we encourage you to check them out i'll drop the reference in the show notes and go listen to it and again thanks joe jen tom that was a blast we appreciate you having us on absolutely second we also want to recommend a youtube show that If you're a Wheel of Time fan, you may already know about, but I know some of our listeners come from other fantasy fiction spectrum out there. The Dusty Wheel is a great live Mm -hmm. call-in YouTube show. Uh, They have a regular show every Wednesday. They'll do some special ones at times. And earlier today, we appeared on just one of those special ones. It was a speed dating Wheel of Time podcast show. Walk through some of the world of podcasts that are out there and uh, see if anything piques your interest. Yeah, there were about 20 different content creators who came on and 
And Matt Hatch, the host of the Dusty Wheel, the innkeeper, his title then, Mm -hmm. he interviewed for about five minutes for each of these podcasts. And it was just a great way to share with lots of people lots of different great content that's out there. And we were privileged to be part of that group. Yeah, I absolutely recommend if you're into Wheel of Time, go take a look at the Dusty Wheel. And if you want more and more podcasts in your life, go check out specifically this past episode that we just did. Yes. And while it's live, they'll also then, you know, have those recorded so you can catch all their episodes afterwards. And finally, also compliments of Matt at the Dusty Wheel. He listened to a couple of our early episodes, and particularly in episode two, he heard our first instance of debating how to say Tarvalon. And it's still Tarvalon, but he came through for me. Mr. Hatch, awesome. He Thanks, pointed Matt. me to an Instagram post, a video Instagram post that he had put out there last May, where it's a little clip of an actual audio interview of Robert Jordan where he talks about Tarvalon. He specifically says it the way I say it. And Matt says it, of course. It's definitely possible out there that this is one of those cases he said things multiple ways in different interviews, but the one that Matt sent and that my dad will hold as proof because it is the author (laughs) says it that way. I'm I'm feeling very vindicated here. I'm still going to say Tarvalon because... I'm sticking to it until at least the show makes it pop culture. You know, I say how the audiobook says it. No. Nope. Even how the glossary has it might be differently, but when it comes out of the author's own mouth, that trumps it all. Tarvalon. But yes, I think we'll just commit that I'm going to keep going Tarvalon yeah. and you keep going Tarvalon. Are... And let's just not argue about it anymore. You we'll are just do our unfortunately thing. allowed to say it that way. No more heckling. Yay. I didn't say I wouldn't heckle. I just said I. <laughs> you're allowed. I will drop a link to that Instagram clip, too. So you also, if you're siding with me, can feel vindicated. And if you are siding with Zach... Don't listen to it. <laughs> All right. I'm feeling quite good now today. Shall we move into our content? Oh, yeah. Let's get to the Great Hunt. We're covering chapters 10 through 14 today. Chapter 10 is called The Hunt Begins. Wait... We missed something. <gasps> we did. My dad's drinking and he forgot to tell you what. Well, we're both drinking. Mine's less exciting. Well, mine, it, there's a picture on our Instagram channel and the recipe. I'm drinking a National Aquarium. It is a beautiful light blue drink and it is tasty. It includes blue curacao, which is, of course, where that comes from, the, the color, mm-hmm. as well as rum, gin, vodka, sour mix, and a little bit of Sprite. Now, while he sits on the good side with his blue, I'm over here with my red lightsaber, this red drink here. I mixed up a strawberry beer garita. So it's lime juice concentrate, tequila, beer, and a little bit of strawberry margarita mix. Nothing too fancy, but more than, I guess, what I would usually be drinking. It's better than the coffee you've brought into some of these recordings. It's usually spite. (laughs) Okay, back to chapter 10. The hunt begins. And that is what we see. The hunt is, it is beginning. beginning. Uh, they're going pretty fast, yeah. actually. Our group is is hauling beep. I don't say that Hauling word. ass. Yeah, yeah, okay. After the stolen horn of Valir, Ingtar is pushing these guys. And it's well, like he wants to the catch horses. them. Well, yeah. <laughs> he wants to catch up clearly today. Oh, yeah. The very first day we are going to get them. They're going at a pace. There's no way those horses can endure. No. 
he seems really overly zealous. <laughs> Theoretically, if they do catch them today, it won't matter too much if they worked them really, really hard because you get there, you take it back, you're good. But mm. if they don't, the next few days, they won't be able to keep this up and will be even slower than they would have been initially. Now, if you remember, we met last time Huron, their sniffer, who is the one who can smell violence, but that also means he can follow the trail of the Trollocs because they're like violence incarnate. He can always smell Trollocs. So he's out front leading the way. They might not be able to see tracks, but he can sense which way to go. And they're headed south, and that is the way they've been headed since they left Faldara Keep. Along the way, this first day of the journey, Rand is playing, I I thought of it as cat and mouse with Perrin and Matt. It's a very petty keep away kind of thing. Rand keeps coming, trying to come over to his friends, and his friends just turn up their noses and go, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't being with you. They refuse to ride with him. It's Matt. Matt's upset. But Perrin is more on Matt's side than he is Rand's. Yep, they're still ticked at Lord Rand being so uppity to them. And even though he's tried to apologize, they have not accepted the apology. Doesn't help that the soldiers keep calling him Lord Rand. And he's dressed like a bloody land. A bloody land? Yeah, he's... A bloody lord. He's definitely dressed like a bloody land. Well, The landscape is... Rand is the land. Spoilers. (laughs) At one point, the soldier Uno... He, one of eye the one know. eye, yes. He dismounts to inspect the tracks they are following because they have actually found real tracks. Sniffer Huron is leading them well. And he's concerned at the tracks that he sees because they actually seem like they might be falling a little farther behind. They've definitely not gained at this point, even though they're practically killing their horses. Now, I'll be a little bit honest here. I don't personally know enough about tracking, but it blows my mind that someone can tell from tracking that they're more or less behind someone than they already were. I, I'm not expert either. I mean, I was a Boy Scout, but... I wasn't. Thank goodness. <laughs> I believe over time in training, you learn to be able to kind of estimate the rate of deterioration of a track. So you can tell if it's fresh or based on how less fresh it is and the weather conditions, you can tell about how far behind you are. It would make sense to me that they could tell they're falling further behind, but it would not make sense to me that they could tell, oh yeah, they're so and so many miles in front of us. Now, I don't know if they have the mile thing down, but... Fine, so and so many hours ahead of us. Yeah, that's more it. That, I still, that one it feels rough to me because there's so much that could happen that it's, would mess it, with it's it. A, it's a guesstimate. That I feel like it's more just you can tell it's different but anyone who does know anything about tracking please please come tell me because i actually really curious about this and i don't think a simple google search will do a good enough job of explaining it to me yeah because they're all in silicon valley they're not trackers google Eh. yeah so uh Concern is voiced that the horses can't keep up this pace. Ingtar, he's not having this. They continue to push on. And he just says, no, we must go. We must get there. We must catch them. And Uno looks at Rand then. Mm-hmm. Like, like for confirmation, is is this, you sure? Are we, we going to do this? And then Rand's like, what are you looking at me for? I mean, he doesn't say it, but it unsettles him a little bit. And he's like, is this another one of these blooming, they think I'm a lord things? So dumb. <sighs> They keep following the trail. They notice it never goes near any towns. It's all through the, the wilderness areas. Eventually, Ingtar finally has to acknowledge, all right, the horses can't keep going. I get it. Yeah. So we're going to start pacing ourselves differently. Mm-hmm. 
They use a technique that is actually legitimately out there, a technique to get the horses to go longer. Absolutely. And that is they'll get off and jog along with their horses. So they're holding the horses' reins and, and they're jogging. The horse is still, you know, going at a reasonable pace, but, but it's it doesn't not have carrying. to work as hard, yeah. especially for one like, say, Loyal. And Rand, as <laughs> we go, actually notes, Loyal's very happy with this. Oh, outcome. he likes the times they can jog. He's big. <laughs> Even going slow, he's faster than most people, probably. And he prefers his own two feet rather than squishing his massive horse, anyways. They go in a mile running, then they hop back on the horses. And, do and a mile. back and forth, back, back and forth, forth, back and forth. forth. Both and it's a much more them sustainable thing. And the horses are going to get tired here, but everyone's in pretty good shape. All the horses are in great shape, so it can go longer. Mm-hmm. They don't have to immediately stop and make camp. Finally, as night falls, Ingtar does call a halt. I mean, they're not going to keep doing this in the dark. They, no, they between have to rest one now. of two things: one, it's harder to find the trail. And two, it's just not safe in a number of ways of whether or not you were to get attacked. But more importantly, just the horses seeing where they're going. If one of them breaks a, I guess, leg, uh, that horse is dead. So as Rand had figured, you know, he, he in our last episode we talked about and Loyal helped him realize, you know, part of why Matt and Perrin are still ticked at you is you say you're sorry about this Lord stuff, but you're dressed like a Lord. So he had said, well, when we stop, I'll change. As, you know, as soon as I can, I'll get into my clothes. So they're making camp, and he goes and finds his clothes, and he starts basically cussing and yelling. Yeah. And all the soldiers come rushing over. What? What? Is something wrong? Well, something is kind of wrong. See, <laughs> Moraine's the one who made sure that Moran's things were all packed, and it's all taken care of, and, well, all he finds are clothes just as fancy as what he's wearing. She did not put any normal clothes in. No matter what he wears, unless he wants to walk around naked, he's going to look like a lord. Mm-hmm. Everyone can note that he just looks like this noble who's standing there and cannot do anything but stand out. He's furious. Moraine clearly is setting him up. She's manipulating him. <sighs> After setting up camp, they make dinner. And uh, Masima is one of the ones who actually takes a turn preparing dinner. You know, grumpy Masima, who has never cared for Rand much. Mm-hmm. And they get in line, they go through, and as Rand gets up with his plate, Masima gives a real sloppy that <laughs> so much so it practically, like Rand has to jerk back so he doesn't splatter all over him. It's and the he mean gets lunch a little lady on his thing. hand, burns a little yeah. bit. The stereotypical lunch lady mystery meat clap. Yeah. Ingtar reads Masima's rights for acting like that, and Masima just, fine, but still glares daggers at Rand. What is going on? And, and we do get a little information here where we learn, okay, it isn't really personal. Nah. Every time Masima looks at you, Rand, he sees Aiel. Now that being said- look like an Aiel. It's not personal. It is kind of prejudiced. Well, Masima served three years on the eastern border of Shinar, and they would run into encounters with the Aiel. Mm-hmm. And they, they'd fight. They'd skirmish. Yeah. It was not pleasant. And those three years have scarred Masima. Masima has both emotional and physical wounds from that time, but blaming Rand for it is kind of really unfair. The conversation between Ingtar, Rand, and the others who sit together for dinner, that being loyal Matt and Perrin, Share a few other details then about the Aiel. They mm-hmm. kind of segue from talking about how Masima thinks about Aiel. And, and here's some things we learn. It's actually some new things that for most of the series so far, we've kind of seen them as this scary, unknown, 
almost maybe bad thing. We mostly hear about the Aiel War that caused problems. But one of the first things we know is the Aiel, they're committed to fighting the Dark One and all the various shadow spawn that comes with it, and they will fight to their last breath. It's something that really the Borderlanders kind of have a kinship with in that sense. They do in that sense. Even though they are so opposed with each other. But here's where the problem that come in with the Shinarans is they will also fight just about anyone else who enters their territory. So Known as the Aiel Waste. Right. And so Shinar is right up against the border as well. And they have those skirmishes right along the borderline. The yeah. Aiel don't tolerate anyone else being in what they consider their territory. With three exceptions. They do not attack the Tuatha'an, the traveling people. In fact, they actually keep away from them. They have no issue with... But they also don't have any problems with traitors that come through. As long as they're honest ones. Yes. You try to cheat an Aiel, it is not going to go well. No, but they will engage with traitors and let them through to the other side of the waste and lands that might be over there. Because they need the stuff. You know, the Aiel don't leave the waste. So they need the things that the traitors will bring to them. They also wouldn't really have a problem with Ogier, but they don't necessarily see them either. And there's one more that is not on here in our notes, but I know is there. They let Gleeman go through. Oh, yes, you are absolutely correct. They will enjoy the stories and let them through. So it identifies the Aiel as being hard warriors, tremendous stamina and skill, but they will not use a sword that does not weaken them. You meet one with your sword, you'll probably still lose. (laughs) In a way, they're like the the stereotypical ninjas. They are the weapon. Yes. But they do use weapons. They just do. Just not swords. swords. Why? Well, I guess we'll find out later because I don't think it's really explained too well yeah, here. Yeah. Hint, hint. We'll find out later. They don't ride horses. Running is good enough for them. And really is good enough for them. They can outrun a horse. Which real people can do in certain conditions or times. it's an endurance thing. And how well trained you personally are. So if it's what you do and you live in that kind of climate, totally manageable. It's not crazy fiction here. They dig their villages into rock formations. This is one of the things revealed here. So they live out in the waste, but where you find their actual homes is a few locations around the waste where there's like mesas, big rock structures. Now, whether or not you'll actually find any of those, well, being they kill anyone who doesn't fit those little categories, yeah, you not probably a, won't find them. There's not a whole lot of detailed maps of the IEO waste out there. <laughs> yeah, look at the map on the wall there. It ends It cuts right off there. at the spine of the world, yeah. not going there. <laughs> The last thing we get dropped here is that the Io Waste is blazingly hot by day, bitter cold by night, and bone dry. So thus, your stereotypical desert. desert. But the Aiel, they would not choose anywhere else. It's it's home. It's home. It's barbaric, but hey, it's, it's home. home. Next morning, Name they the resume the... Aladdin. I'm proud of you. Which has a desert. Yeah. Next morning, they resume the chase though at a more reasonable, sustainable pace. They follow the trail, which continues south, and after about two hours, they come across an abandoned camp. Yay! So, like you said, they're a couple hours behind the Dark Friends, and there's not much to see, but they learn three things. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty large group of them. Yep, they can tell from the remains of the camp. 40-ish? Yep. There's a few less than there were before, Uh because apparently from the remains they see, the Trollocs dined on human last night. 
And even possibly more bizarrely, they're no longer heading in the direction that they were before. In fact, right. they were going pretty much straight south. And leaving camp, it looks like they're going northeast. Yeah. Hur Huron's like, they're going that way now. Huh. Total course correction. So off they go. But after about an hour, they find a location where the trail shifts south again. And oddly, they find another body here. A man who's been violently killed. Does it explain exactly what that means by violently killed or leave it ambiguous? Oh, no. They, they said. I just, we'll leave that for the readers. Aww. <laughs> They're good descriptions in there for a reason. That's fine, but this one is not as significant in the way it was killed as others that we will detail later on. And in fact, it goes well with the text here. This is mysterious, but they don't spend a lot of time exploring it. They just, okay, we got to keep going. Ingtar's like, go, go, go. We got to catch these guys. So they head back off to the south. And they keep going, and there's no real significant changes in direction, but there's also really no significant changes in their condition. They think maybe they are gaining a little now, but maybe. certainly not enough to catch up with them today. No. Darkness forces them to make camp eventually. Next morning, they come upon another abandoned camp and find another murder was done. And they go this time northwest. Huh. They follow until they find another dead body. And the trail changes to the south again. What the heck is going on? It's very strange as there seems to be a shift. And each time, at least one body. Mm -hmm. A moment of violence. This repeats day after day. They start out some way headed north. Then dead body drop and straight south. Throughout this, they keep slowly gaining, but man, they're not catching them. They're not, they're yeah. just still out of reach. In my opinion, it, it feels a lot like any time I drive with like Apple Maps up and I'm going a long distance, so I'm going a little faster, <laughs> trying to make up time. Then I have to stop for gas and I lose pretty much all that time. And yeah. by the end of a five hour trip, maybe I've gained five to 10 minutes. <laughs> Ingtar suggests at one point, maybe we should just like cross country. Like when they're, when they find them, break to the north. It's like, come on, we know they're going to go south again at some point. Let's just cut across and catch the trail. But there's a problem with that in that, well, you could try to predict them, but what if you're wrong? What if your angle is slightly off? What if this is the one time they don't come back south? There's a good chance that you never find that trail. So, Or even if you're too fast and you get past where mm. they're going before they get there. So, nope, we're going to stick to the trail. It's too important. We have to recover the horn. We can't afford to lose them. Ingtar is practically a zealot about this now. He's so over the top preaching about how important it is that we get to the horn and come on, guys, let's keep going faster. And people are starting to look at him a little sideways now. Yeah, like, like, dude, you're losing it. It's like everybody gets it. We get how important it is, but that's a bit much, bud. Finally, we get to a day where the pattern changes. As they follow the trail that morning... It continues south, you know, from where Rand and company had camped. Mm -hmm. And this time, it does go to a town. They've never gone to a town before. At the River Aranen. The town appears abandoned. They yeah. Do, they do a search of the buildings, and they come up short. They're pretty sure, yep, there's no one here. And then Uno He swears, swears. with his one eye. There's a woman in white watching out of the second story of one of the homes. He's like, how did we miss her? They run over, try to find her, and... Well, she's not there. Was she ever there? Yeah, definitely some are doubting. Uno's the only one who saw her. So yeah. Some are definitely doubting. Hmm. 
Matt's himself makes a wisecrack about jumping at curtains and the like. Yeah, Uno does not appreciate that. But we do, because Matt's fun. Well, we mentioned this was at a river, and the Aranin is not a small river. There's no bridge. There is a ferry. Unfortunately, the Dark Friends clearly use the ferry because it's sitting on the other side of the river. Yeah. But thankfully, it's one of these, like back at Taran Ferry, leaving the two rivers, there's a rope across, and you can like, and you pull, pull along the rope, and the rope was not cut. They can still get across. A couple of the Shinarans get out of their armor and use the rope to work their way across the river. And before bringing the ferry back, they explore just a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're not gone very long. When they come back, get on the ferry, bring it over. And as they get close, they can see they are shaken up. Yeah. They have seen something over there they don't even want to talk about. They're like, you guys just need to come see. So they do. They all cross. Yeah. And they get to the place in town that had been investigated. And they find Shangu and Nidao. The two soldiers from Faldara that Remember Angtar the ones believes. that were down in the dungeon the first well, time when Rand, Rand had visited with Egwene to see Pat and Fane. And then after doing a full sweep of the city, accounting for everyone, those were the only two people who were missing so after Angtar everyone left. So accused them of being the dark friends who killed the soldiers at the dog gate mm-hmm. to let the Trollocs in. And because they're gone now, they've clearly left with the Trollocs. Yep. So they find them, hanging not alive, by hanging by their arms from a big tree, and they've been skinned. Yep. And by the looks on their faces, they were skinned alive. Yep. Ugh. So fun. He won't explain the other violent deaths, but that one, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> they cut them down, and they do actually bury them. They take the time to take care of these mm-hmm. guys. Because even though it's a very time-sensitive mission and you need to catch up, there's still a certain amount of, we need to respect people. And what if we were wrong about them being dark friends? Maybe they were forced to go. Because, yeah. you know, Angtar comments on, again, that these guys had just a month ago saved Lord Agomar at the Battle of Tarwin's Gap. So let's give them their honorable burial. Yep. At least as best we can. That taken care of, they discover how the pattern has changed just a little bit more. Not only did it go to a village this time, but the trail doesn't change. It keeps going south now. As they continue on through this new land on the other side of the river, mm-hmm. Ingtar gives a little history lesson. He talks about how the land they're going through used to be a nation. Yeah, it was fairly well populated, even though now it's pretty much abandoned. It's a sign of how mankind has been fading. There's just not as many people, really. Once prosperous nations have just disappeared, and in many cases, people don't even know there was a nation there. Just think about how the boys, none of them know they're from Manetherin, because it doesn't exist. Ingtar shows a moment of extreme pessimism, where he basically says, all the nations are fading. Before you know it, the blight is going to stretch over the whole land all the way south to the ocean. It's a being real negative Nancy. Yeah. Uh, just pessimistic to his core. They come to another village eventually. This one also appears abandoned. Woohoo! But it looks recent. That's less woohoo. And Huron smells bad violence was done here. Yeah. They scatter to search again. And Rand comes upon something very strange as he's searching. It is. Yeah. He steps into a home. And as he opens the door and looks in, he sees a table set for a meal, some plates already served, and a few flies buzzing around the food. It's just starting to go bad. So it does look like it was a very recent thing that the town was cleared out. Mm -hmm. 
And then something happens. It's like blink, and he sees the family at the table. Dad is slicing up the meat, and they're starting to serve out the food. Then one child screams and points at the door, you know, where Rand is. Yeah. And pointing to the street beyond. Soon enough, the entire family looks that way and reacts in horror. They're backing away towards the back of the house. And then the back door bursts open, and then blink. Suddenly, Rand is back, seeing things as they originally were. There's just a few more flies buzzing around. And then? It happens again. And then? It happens again. And then? And each time, it seems to be getting colder in the room, and there's more and more flies. I mean, the flies are starting to fill the room. They're starting to get on Rand. He is frozen in place. I really think that this is a great moment that can be done in the show that has a very unsettling feeling, but I distinctly remember, like, Westworld at one point did a moment where a fly like walks across someone's open eye mm. and just do it. It's really unsettling and this is your moment to do it. Basically, Rand is trapped in whatever this is, whatever's going on. It seems to be something of the power or something, you know, it's magical of some it's sort. It's something more than just Rand's going insane, probably. Probably. But he instinctively reaches out to Sidine and with the power tears free of whatever has him stuck, and he stumbles out of the house. Thank goodness he happens to be able to channel, which, you know, he hates. <laughs> As he's out of the house, he's rather shaken, but ugh, okay, that's behind him. He doesn't know what that was. He doesn't even want to think about that anymore. He reconnects with Matt and Perrin, who are also coming out of houses. They don't appear to have run into anything strange. Nah. Just abandoned places. And then they hear a shout from the center of town suggesting, hmm, somebody found something, so they head that way. Everybody go on over and, well, you could say something was found. Yeah, they might have found something significant. They found a mirdral. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not alive. No, he's clearly been executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, left for dead in the town square. It's pretty epic. He, I'm probably using the word wrong. Again, epic. I no, this one I think is pretty right. epic. He's been splayed out, and spikes have been driven right through where his eyes would be. It's like, oh, man. And, it's like, and that was clearly done while he was alive because there's marks where his feet were drubbing. Well, know. yeah, and if I remember correctly, it's not like he's, like, spiked down onto the ground. No, he's spiked into a wall mm -hmm. and secured into the wall. The spikes were driven through with enough force that either they were continued to be pounded or just boom right through enough that his head is secured still, keeping the body up. Yeah. And if you recall, Mirdral are not particularly easy to kill. No. You can cut off their head and they'll still thrash around a bit. And in Dark Friend, Shadow Spawn, Hierarchy, a Mirdral would have been, like, in charge of this group they're following? The one time we've really seen a moment of, there must be something more, but never actually seen it, was when they went into Shadow Logarth when none of them wanted to go in to chase after the friends, our Emansfield friends and crew. And instead, Moraine commented, there must be something driving the Mirdral to get them to actually come in. Did you say Emansfield? It's Emmonsfield. I say Emmons. <laughs> it just struck me. I'm like, what? Technically, I feel like it should be... I you almost Edmondsfield? No, I almost feel like it should actually probably be like Amonsfield, even though it's spelled with an E, so it would be Emmonsfield, just because Amon feels more like a name than Emmon. Mm. So they're all seeing the mirror drill. There's not really much they can say. No. They're all kind of speechless. Yeah. And Ingtar just says, um, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and off they ride, continuing south, because mm -hmm. that's what the trail keeps doing. And that's the end of our first chapter. We move to chapter 11, Glimmers of the Pattern. 
This sees our party calling a halt to the day's march, still not having caught up. We get to see Uno irritated with Ragan, claiming he saw that woman again at the last town, you know, where the half-men died. Yeah. He saw her just before they found the Fade, but then when he searched, she wasn't there again. But he knows he's not going crazy. He's not seeing things. He is he a just sturdy guy. She disappeared. Leaves Rand a little puzzled, but he wants to dismiss it just as eh, Uno thinks he's seeing things. Rand is constantly in denial. He doesn't share when weird things happen around him because he's worried someone will think he has the power because he does. He doesn't really pay attention to people who are telling him, this, I've seen something and he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to believe it. Please no. Well, in the back of Rand's mind, anything he sees or experiences, he questions because he knows as a channeler, he's doomed to go mad. And no one really told him exactly what that means. Or how fast it will happen. And there's a good chance that's because nobody really knows. Mm. As this goes forward, Mm -hmm. it's obvious everyone is feeling pretty stressed. Yeah, I mean... You don't see a mirror draw just dead like that and be okay. Ram goes to Ingtar as things are setting up for the night, and a few things are stated. The people are missing from the villages they passed through because the Trollocs have been taking them. They didn't just go away or disappear. No. They're food. I mean, we saw over and over that there were human remains scattered at the Trolloc camps because they were eaten. Well, now we can really feel that we know where they keep getting more people to eat. Mm -hmm. Now, Ingtar at this point says, Lady Moraine, she gave me this, gets out a bundle, to give to you at the first camp once we're past the River Aranen. And so here you go. (laughs) We'll see what's in it shortly. We don't see it immediately. Now... Technically speaking, the fact that Moraine knew they would be crossing the River Aranen during this, kind of insane. Because they've been confused about where they're actually going through a lot of this. I said I know things. Well, they like to think they do. Ingtar also was told to share at the same point that if anything happens to Ingtar, Rand is in command. He is his second. And in fact, all the Shinarans know this. Yeah. Because they always, when soldiers leave, they know the pecking order in case a commander is killed. They know who to follow. And all the way down to the last man, they know the order of who would be in charge. So first off, how come nobody, nobody thought to tell Rand? Well, Moraine, it was Moraine's order not to tell him until they got this far. Why do you think? I think most, well, most of the soldiers, I think, assumed Rand knew. I would agree with that. You know, Uno was looking to him, you know. And Ingtar was told, don't tell him. But it's just, if something, say, had happened to Ingtar before they crossed, Rand doesn't know. Yeah, they would have figured it out. But Ingtar comments on, yeah, you know, the order was a little weird, but it's not my place to question. I'm a soldier. I do what I'm told. So this is what i was told and i guess now lord rand has to deal with all that responsibility too he is ticked again i Sedai manipulating him he's left them behind and he still can't get away he says i refuse to accept this i will not be the second and ingtar says too bad if something happens i know you will do your duty you are a man of honor you after all it. duty is as heavy as a mountain yeah he doesn't say that no but, but it's, it's a true. borderland belief yes we all think it Anytime someone says duty in this series, I don't go to something funny. I go to that. <laughs> I was like, there's the other thing people think of. Oh, no, I, I go to there with any other co- use of the word duty. You do currently work in a child care center. Yeah. And they don't think honor or heavy. They, they think nah, something else when someone says a duty. A lot of them are too young to even think of that. <laughs> As Ingtar moves away, 
Rand takes that bundle he's been given, and he steps away from the group. He sees a nearby group of trees. He steps into the trees, so he's out of sight of the others. Because if Maureen sent it with, he's not sure he wants well, to open it in front of everybody. He knows what she's put in it. And, God dang it, seriously? But So he's going to look. So he goes. He opens it up. Pretty little knots. It's clearly she tied this herself. He's like, that That even drives it home more. Whatever's in here, she didn't trust anyone else to take care of it. No. She took care of it. And, yep, opens it up. It's that dragon banner of Luce Theron Telamon that they found at the Eye of the World. And he's just uh, staring at it. And Matt and Perrin come walking into the trees to see what he's up to at that point. And Matt, well, he went off on that Rand's got some fancy banner. But when he actually sees what the banner is, mm-hmm. then he's like, Wait a second. <laughs> Why do you have that? And that that pause, that hesitation allows Rand to go off. And he just unloads with all the things he should have told his friends earlier. Mm, we don't get quite okay. to that. We get to that in just a moment. But first he's venting about Moraine yeah. and the Aes Sedai setting him up as a false dragon. Well, let's just be real. That's something he should have shared earlier. Yes. The entire conversation should have happened at the beginning of this book. But they're like, false dragon? Why would they Why would they set you up as a false dragon? And Perrin, smartest one in the group, goes, wait a second, Rand? Can you channel? And ding, there ding, we ding. go. Rand acknowledges, I don't know yes. if I'd say Perrin's the smartest. I'd say he's the wisest. He's able to take that step back and actually think about what things mean. Well, you know, when we say smart, there are different kinds of smarts. Yeah, no, I mean, I Putting use... connections together, I think Perrin is mm. the smartest of the bunch. I use D&D stats as 5e currently is to kind of gauge some of it. And it's we've got intelligence and wisdom. Charisma's also viewed as a me- mental stat, but we'll just use that as a dump stat right now. So your intelligence is really putting those things together and being able to figure things out. And your wisdom is figuring out how that knowledge can actually be used or what it means. So the intelligence of being able to plan everything is Moraine manipulating Rand. The wisdom is Perrin seeing the manipulation and going, can you channel? If you say so, I can see your perspective. Rand also shares that the Amerlin seat knows Rand can channel, and yet... The Moraine and the Amerlin let him go because they say he is the dragon reborn. Not a false dragon. They're not saying he's a false dragon. He is the dragon reborn. So he must be free in order to fulfill prophecies. And the only reason Rand hasn't run away from the Aes Sedai, from any of his friends that he might have might hurt when he goes mad from channeling. Is because he wants to help you, Matt. He wants to see you safe because that dagger is gone and you need it to live. So when he offended them earlier, ticked them off, acted like a lord, that was to drive them away so they wouldn't come with him. He needed to get away so they'd be safe. But then the dagger got stolen. Mm-hmm. And so now everybody's all on the same page. But, I mean, one of the concerns Rand had was that things would be different. And, well, to be fair... <laughs> Matt's like, so how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, things are a little bit different. Matt and Perrin do see Rand a little bit as that bomb that could explode. <laughs> Matt's like, so if you don't mind, I'm going to sleep over there tonight. You go over Just there. Just in case. <laughs> So they do. They get back to camp. They all settle down. Ingtar says, we need to be ready to move at a moment's notice, so don't unsaddle your horses. Rub them down and all, but just have them still ready. Take care of them. Don't make them comfortable. And sleep by your horses. And so they all scatter around the little campsite, and 
Rand settles down by Loyal and Huron, the sniffer. Mm-hmm. And he walked over to those two. Those two were already over in one area. You know, Matt and Perrin have gone a different direction. And they're Loyal, partially over there because Loyal goes over and finds well, he something. Finds something. And I think it's just coincidence Huron's over there, too. Yeah. But Loyal found a half-buried stone that has some interesting old markings. And, you know, Loyal's an inquisitive ogier. He's trying to puzzle out, what is this? I... Not to mention Loyal... I mean, I guess to mention, Loyal is one of the older and more knowledgeable characters as far as history goes and he's not sure what this is he could have told you what any number of broken statues in this area would have been but not this one as Rand gets there though uh he he's a real downer on the mood Mm -hmm. they can sense it so pretty much conversation fizzles out and they all hit the sack for the night and we get a pov switch and it is very fun we jump over to Pat and Fane. <laughs> Further to the south, staring back towards Rand's camp. This is a creepy little POV we get. Mm-hmm. And we learn a few things because we get to lurk inside Pat and Fane's mind for just a little. Which is a scary and will grow to be scarier oh, place. it's a dark, dark place. And darker than it used to be. Mm-hmm. See, Fane has changed and he's thinking about it. He's changed. He knows he's changed. He's, he's more. He still feels Pat and Fane at the core. But he's something else too. Yes. He still has the ability to sense the three Emmonsfield boys. That that, that distilling. Hound ability he got from Baalzaman mm-hmm. when, yes, he was distilled at Sheol Ghul. Something... So that's with him. That's why he's looking right up at where they are. He can sense where, are, where they are. But something changed him more when they went through Shadar Logoth. Yes. And he has the ruby-hilted dagger with him now, which also came from Shadar Logoth. Mm-hmm. And it, instead of doing some nasty stuff to him like it did to Matt, it completes him. He feels whole. It's a piece of his tortured soul. So whatever changed in him at Shadar Logoth, it's tied to whatever the essence of Shadar Logoth is in this dagger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Dark Friends and the Trollocs that are still with Fane are standing there in two separate groups, watching him, watching his reactions. They look terrified. <laughs> Trollocs and Dark Friends, all terrified of Fane. I wonder who killed the Miradrill. Yeah, and it kind of comes in and we see Fane reflecting. He did. <laughs> yes, yes. And so he's reflecting on, okay, the last few days, and we finally get understanding of what was happening. Why there were switches on the direction. Because... Fane has just recently finally come into his own. When we saw him way back in Faldar when he first climbed the wall, he was constantly shifting between talking like Fane and talking like some hoity-toity, almost pompous, noble-like right. figure. And he used the name Mordeth. And those two names, Fane and Mordeth, were tied to those personalities. Mm-hmm. What was happening when they were journeying was that They'd go to sleep at camp, and when they'd wake up, Fane was still in those two different personalities, a little confused on what they should do, and the Mirdral would take charge of the group, mm-hmm. and they'd head to the north. And then Fane would kind of get work through his fog, and his personalities would merge into his one whole strong self, and he'd take charge. He'd kill someone, and let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they'd go south. So it's Fane that's been driving him south. And now since the pattern changed and they've stayed south, he has come to solidity. There's no wishy-washiness anymore. He is one new, unique personality. And as he's gotten to that, he got fed up with the mirror drill. Yep. Took him out. That's it. And the fact that he was able to is terrifying. 
Yes. To everyone. Besides the Dark Friends and the Trollocs, we do have one other group. There's the prisoners from those villages that Ingtard said, you know, that's Trolloc food. Mm-hmm. Yep. We have, a, uh, we have that group for now. Only for now. Fane wants to get this show moving a little faster. So he's like, uh, Trollocs, you can go kill them all. And Eat to your heart's content. All you want. It's a buffet. Let's go. Smorgasbord. Yes. And so they have at it. And while the Trollocs are eating all the people, he turns to the Dark Friends. And he's basically so... Don't feel comfortable. You guys are next. Yeah, they ate all the villagers. They're still going to eat humans, so. And the dark friends, they just drop to their knees, groveling, and try to, they just start going off on any sort of knowledge or information or or promises they think they can make to prove their worth to Pat and Fane. So the dark friends, sworn to the dark lord, are now doing anything they can to win over Pat and Fane. And let's just be real here. Pat and Fane doesn't give a shit. Nope, nope. Oh, there's that word. He uh, doesn't care. Turns his back on them. He has everything he needs right there in that golden chest. The Horn of Alir. And he takes his dagger, puts it on top of it. It's the protection for the chest because he knows no one's going to touch that dagger. Nobody's touching that. And he looks back to the north. Huh. He notes, I can't feel Randall Thor. The other two boys are there, but huh. And he notes that that's happened at times where something changes with Rand and, and Fane can't sense him. But he always comes back. He mm-hmm. always shows up again. So it doesn't trouble him that much. He's sure Rand will keep following him. And follow him all the way to Toman Head. Where, of course, he plans Rand to find his death. He will put Rand's head on Toman Head where Boom. he sees Rand dead. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's the end of the chapter. And we move to... Chapter 12. Woohoo! This one's called Woven in the Pattern, and here things shift completely. We're now back with Egwene, Nynaeve, and the other Aes Sedai and warders. You mean we're not on Horn Hunt anymore? No, What no. happened to this great hunt? And this is all the way back to right when the hunt took off. So that same day, just after the assassination attempt, and now the Aes Sedai are leaving Faldara. Yep. So we were many days back in the past. Let's see what happened. When that uh, arrow came shooting out, yep, yep, Egwene yep. and Nynaeve weren't even in the courtyard No, yet. they were not. So we catch up to them here when they're arriving and going, what the heck? What happened? They can still see a little bit of the chaos. The people who were immediately sent out on the hunt, they're gone. But anyone else, including the Amerlin, Amerlin, whatever, she's still there. Yep. And in fact, the Amerlin, this is the first time she takes notice of Egwene and Nynaeve directly. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't actually say anything to them. She looks at them, then turns to Moraine and says, basically, ah, yeah, I, I see what you meant about these girls. They could be pretty powerful for us to have. And gives her approval. Yeah, but it's like, she just looks them over and they're things for her to use. Yes. Toys or tools and... They don't feel treated as people. No, it's it's really not cool. Yeah. Don't objectify people in any context, okay? But moments later, it's departure time. And the big procession of Aes Sedai and warders leaves the keep, leaves the city, continues on until nightfall. The Amerlin keeps the group going until, literally, they could see no more. The tents are pitched. Camp is made. In the evening, Egwene mm-hmm. and Nynaeve, who are sharing a tent, are visited by an Aes Sedai. We know this Aes Sedai. Who we stops in to see do. them? It's Varen. Varen Mathwin, the brown who... One of the three who knows and at least believes 
Rand is the Dragon Reborn. Egwene and Nynaeve don't know that, actually. And this well, is their first introduction to Varen. Egwene, at the very least, knows that she can chant. Are you saying they don't know Varen knows? Right. They don't know Varen knows. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Because they both they know, know about Rand. But yes. they don't know Varen knows. So they don't know she knows that they know. Or that she knows. <laughs> Most important, she has come to train them. Egwene needs more training. She comments, Maureen started your training, and usually that wouldn't be done before you got to the tower. But you guys are powerful and already touching the power, and this needs to happen now. And she also says, you know, when many girls originally learn that they can touch the true source, they get they're scared. scared, they're skittish, they're very timid, and they need to be encouraged and coaxed. But Maureen has aren't. shared that you, Egwene, have no fear. No. You just jump right into it. So your training now is essential so you don't do something stupid. Yeah, Egwene just keeps grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and grabbing, and you're going to burn yourself out if you don't get training. Nynaeve, not such an issue because she has learned to protect herself from burning out. Not necessarily in the proper no, way. she has a block. We're going to have to work on getting you properly trained. So she does encourage, Varen encourages Nynaeve, stay for the training here. And let's see what you can learn as well. Mm-hmm. But she's mostly here for Egwene. So they take time focusing on the lessons. And Egwene finds it a lot harder than it had been when she was working with Moraine. You know, back then, you know, she was so excited. She, you know, made the little flame and and she could feel the source. But now she just, it's not happening so natural. She's working hard and eventually she can sense the true source. You know, it's it's happening, but it's hard. And she gets some channel. Yeah, okay, I can feel it. But all the things that she's doing, okay, Nynaeve's trying to do the same things and squat diddly. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And... Very frustrating. Varen just keeps, come on, encouraging her, and you can do it. And she gets more and more and more frustrated. And finally, Nynaeve is just angry, and a and pile s- of blankets they have there burst into flame. Yeah, instead of making this tiny little flame, um, um, <laughs> there's suddenly a bonfire in the tent. And they're like, so- oh my goodness. And Varen doesn't do, oh my goodness. She uses the one power and puts flames out. She says, well, here we have a clear sign. Apparently, if you get angry, you can touch the source. Your we'll, control we'll is need to be working on this. clearly not there at all. Varen ends the training for the night and gives one more caution to them. Says, they need to remember these flames. This is what can happen if you don't have enough control. Right now, it's blankets. It could be you. A person channeling without proper control can die, but they also can, and this is the first time Varen actually says it, they can burn themselves out, meaning they destroy the ability to channel the one power. And that's unsettling. And she says then, sleep well. Yep. (laughs) Here's this horrific thing you can do to yourself. Sweet dreams. As they continue their journey over the next few days, a different sister comes every night to continue the lessons. Mm -hmm. During the day, they're surrounded by these Aes Sedai that practically act like they don't exist, you know? They're cool, calm, serenity, but they're not like friends chit-chatting. No. No. But at night, someone shows up. Mentioned in particular is uh, Alvierin, Alana Masfani, and Leandrin. Leandrin, of course, well, we've actually met all of these before, but mm-hmm. Leandrin is highlighted here. She doesn't actually <sighs> teach them anything. Not a thing. She focuses on questioning the girls about Rand, Matt, and Perrin. Leandrin fails the Beckdale test. <laughs> We're going to talk about guys. That's right. And uh, humorously, she keeps up with the questions until Nynaeve kicks her out of the tent. I'm Which, like, how do you kick an Aes Sedai out of the tent? Especially one like Leandrin, who apparently is not too concerned about using the one power to restrain people, <clears throat> Rand. 
Now, I did think about, okay, how does she kick him out of the tent? Well, they're not technically in the White Tower yet. No. Not technically training with the Aes Sedai. This is all bonus content ahead of time. So she still can. She doesn't have to obey the Aes Sedai. Oh, yeah. And this heck, is going to change. The people. whole lessons themselves, Nynaeve is only there optionally, but it is her tent. So she can say, I'm, I'm going to bed. You need to leave. Now, after several days, this group does also reach the River Aranin at a different place than the those on the Great Hunt mm-hmm. do. They come to it at a village called Mido, and a number of ships are waiting for them. So this is probably where they disembarked on the way up, and they've returned to get back onto their ships to head back to Tarvalon. The girls are going to be shuttled out to one of the ships called the River Queen, and that's the one where the Amerlin seat is going to be. Yay! And they are surprised to learn at this point that Moraine is no longer traveling with the party. No, she apparently uh, left like two days ago. Uh huh. And didn't say anything. So. Yeah. They learned this from Anaya, one of the Blue Sisters, who, while also hadn't had big conversations or anything, had seemed a little more approachable. Little she gave nicer. him a smile occasionally. And if you remember back in Faldara, this is the one that came to summon Moraine mm-hmm. and had been Moraine, you know. So Anaya very is a pleasant and kinder seeming person. They also learn from Anaya that Leandrin and Varen also disappeared around the same time Moraine did. It's uh... None of them said, I'm leaving. Bye. See y'all. They just were gone. Yeah. But Varen's is a little extra weird. Yeah. Um, because she didn't bring her warder with her. I yes. Mean, Moraine left. Lan went to. Right. Varen leaves, and Tomas, her warder, does not. He's ticked. He's still with the group. She didn't take me, didn't even tell me she was going. Leandrin doesn't have that problem, because Red Aja, they don't have warders. Because, uh, you know, men. men. Egwene is particularly troubled that Moraine is gone, because she's been having dreams that have felt very real and very troubling and and consistent, like they're trying to tell her something and she wanted to talk to Moraine about it because she has this growing sense that Rand's in trouble. She can't share because she's gone, so she shares with Anaya. At least she seems nicer. She seems nicer with Moraine. She's also blue. Yes. Maybe it's okay. And Anaya, hmm. You know, at first she's like, oh, you know, your your man's fine. Don't worry about it. We understand. You know, but listening a little longer, she's like, well, maybe there is something to this. Maybe you are a dreamer. Daydream believer. Oh, boy. No. (laughs) This is not a daydream anyways. But nice monkeys reference. Uh, Dreamer with a capital D. Now, that's something they may have to explore. Okay, this means something. So we don't want to tell you more about it yet. It's going to be explored later. But first time readers, this is important. That Egwene might be a dreamer. And not only that, dreaming is going to be important moving through the story. It's very cool and I want to talk about it, but we can't yet. Yep. Too much spoilage. Give it a few books. The only other thing I want to highlight here is that Robert Jordan does use dreams even more strongly than prophecy to share foreshadowing, Mm -hmm. hints of what is to come. Often conveys uh, key moments that are uh, 
actually spoken and conversations done in dreams, but also various images and moments and meanings that characters sometimes get things out of, but we as readers almost always do. Yes. Egwene is convinced that what she dreamed had meaning, and Jordan took the time to write out the dream in great detail. Because it does have meaning. Yes, it may just be there is deep significance in what she saw. Hint, hint. So the key points from the dream, I just want to highlight two of them. She saw a man with a mask over his face with eyes of fire. Hmm. Who's that? Who might that be? Hmm. We won't insult our listeners. They know who that is. And Rand, sleeping on the ground in his cloak, with a woman standing over him watching him. A woman whose eyes seemed to shine like the moon. A woman Egwene knew was evil. Now, I don't doubt Egwene knowing that this woman is evil, but is it also possible that Egwene sees any woman standing over Rand jealousy? and thinks she's evil? <laughs> I'm not going there. No, like, I no. don't. I don't think she's jealous, but I think I do think it's a you see a woman standing over your man. It's but no, she's at peace that it's not her man anymore. Fine, standing over a man. Period. <laughs> Creepily watching them sleep. It's weird. Okay, the chapter ends as Nynaeve and Egwene get on a little shuttle boat to head out to the River Queen. Yes. Okay. Chapter 13, From Stone to Stone. And things get weird. It takes us back to Rand. And indeed, it's going to get weird because he wakes up. This is, the last chapter was a time sink. So the girls have, with the Aes Sedai, have traveled the whole time. Those that few days. Seen Rand and Ingtar and company all travel to that point where they'd gone to sleep and then we jumped over. It's probably fair that these last few chapters, we did a week with the boys and then a week with the girls. And now, this is the the next morning for all of them, Rand wakes up and he sees Loyal and Huron still asleep and the horses hobbled and waiting nearby, but no one else. Soldiers, horses, friends, they're all gone. Yeah. It's just the three of them, but also the surroundings look different. It's not the same just normal ground that they were at. No, this is a bowl that's been excavated, carved. There are circular stairs around them, colored, going up the bowl that they're inside of. It kind of is a like all the way around amphitheater kind of thing. Yes, and the colors of the rings just happen to match the colors of the Aes Sedai, Aja. Well, that's fun. Sure it's man. almost a rainbow. Not quite. Almost. Huh. This is not cool. <laughs> and then looking up beyond this little bowl that they're in, mm -hmm. everything looks kind of misty. Uh, and even around him, things look not clear, like a mistiness. Now, I mean, he touches the ground, everything's still solid, but they the only things that look normal are Rand, Loyal, and Huron, and their and horses their stuff. and stuff. Everything else has this mistiness to it. And then there's one other really big difference, and yet kind of similar. There's a tall column in the center of this, right next to where they were sleeping. Right next to, you know, where that stone would have been that they were sleeping next to. And it's standing there, it's got a whole bunch of weird symbols on it, and marking some language nobody yeah. gets. Yeah, Rand can't read it. The book said, three spans tall. Now, my recollection is that a span was, you think it's how far your arms can stretch? I thought it was how far you could walk. A typical pace is a span. I did not look it up. Yes, you're correct. A span's about a meter. Right. Because... So we're talking about, that's what I thought. So about a meter. So we're talking about three meters. 
So about nine feet tall. So this column is now taller than Rand. It was just a little piece of stone half buried in the ground. And where that had been, there's this big column. And it's also a span wide. So it's not just some little post. It's this big, massive column. And these markings you referenced, the book says there were hundreds, maybe thousands of these markings all around it. So it's massive and it's, whoa, what the heck? Those markings are relatively small, but not tiny, but cover pretty much all of it. At this point, he wakes up Loyal and Huron. He's like, uh, guys, something's wrong. And they are surprised and concerned as well <laughs> that we agree something's wrong. Huron, practically on the verge of panic. Yeah. Loyal's just mystified. Interesting. Indeed. Noting the colored rings of steps, Rand postulates, could this be Aes Sedai stuff? I mean, the colors, it's Aes Sedai. What do you think? And Loyal's like, no. No, I think this stone column has more to do with this. Yeah, he remembers he read something kind of once that back in the Age of Legends, some of the strongest Aes Sedai, they used some stones. Yeah, they reference stone columns like this. Yeah. And... And in fact, this is like the stone column I'd been looking at that was buried in the ground. If it wasn't, you know, all kind of broken and buried, if it, you know, this is kind of like the same column. And I saw one like this in a picture, mm -hmm. a drawing in this one reference. And with that picture, there was a phrase that he'd read. It, it comes to his mind, from stone to stone run the lines of if between the worlds that might be. There wasn't much to the reference, but it did tell Loyal that Aes Sedai, very powerful Aes Sedai, were able to use these stones basically to travel to parallel worlds. I Thus mean, the worlds of if, or the lines of if. We loosely kind of confirm that this Wheel of Time series works on a multiverse theory kind of thing, at least sometimes, by this statement. Like, a clever reader goes, yeah, that's what's happening. But even so, loyal questions. Hmm. Maybe this isn't the stone that I remember, though. Because yeah. to activate it, it said a very powerful Aes Sedai was needed. They, they have were the to only ones channel. who could channel and use it. You would literally have to channel into the stone. At least that's what he thinks. Uh, he's not sure about channeling into the stone, but it was. It said powerful Aes yeah. Sedai, so it's an implication. So he's pretty sure. I mean, this that couldn't be the case. I mean, none of us can channel. Nah. And Rand is well, over there going, "Oh crap! Did I do this? Is this me? I I don't remember doing anything. Did I do that?" <sighs> Huron. He turns to Rand, and he's going on with, "My Lord Rand, my Lord Rand," trying to get over his freakout by pleading with Rand to get them home. And saying, basically, I know you can do it. You'll take care of us. And Rand, as frustrated as he is, finally, for the first time, goes, basically, fine, you can call me Lord Rand. And says, yeah, we're going to figure this out. I will find a way, Huron. I will do my best. Because he does realize Huron needs Rand to be Lord Rand. Yep. Rand goes to the stone, therefore, and he studies it, and he touches it. And what he's really doing is he's trying to channel Sidene into it. Mm -hmm. He's thinking, okay, Loyal says, I said I, channeling, maybe I can get us home. And, and uh, it, it does nope. not work. In fact, it goes very badly for Rand. Nothing that can be seen, but the feeling he experiences is horrible. So he comes good. to the recollection, whatever you need to do with the one power with these stones... He does not understand. I'm doing it wrong. The others, they're watching Rand at this time. 
they have no idea what he's doing. He's just contemplating the stone. But what does happen is he turns to them and says, yeah, I, I got nothing here. <laughs> Huron then offers another plan. He mm-hmm. says, I can smell the trail of the dark friends. It's weird. It's fainter. Not not old, but just different. It, it, yeah. It's just got a faintness. I like to think mistiness. of it instead of being old. It's like if you suddenly put a like damp rag over your mouth and nose and everything just smells a little funky and you can't quite get things as strongly. What Huron's idea is, though, that, okay, so since I can smell the trail here, that means the dark friends came here, too. So they must know how to use this stone. Let's catch them. Let's keep following the trail, and maybe we can use them to get out of here. Yeah, at the very least, we see what they're doing to get out. What will we learn how? Mm-hmm. It'll be great. Rand's got nothing better, <laughs> so let's give it a shot. Let's so go. They get on their horses, and we're going to ride. Now, as they're getting on their horses, getting ready, loyal, he looks troubled. Rand tries to reassure him, you know, they need to follow the trail. Once they recover the dagger and the horn, surely they can find another stone. Rand remembers, I didn't say this earlier, but Loyal in that reference mm-hmm. said there are stones like these all over the place. You know, people don't use them anymore. But, but they were all, all over. over the world. and they So Rand's like, surely we'll find another one then. And he also says, okay, Loyal, you mentioned in that reference that the Aes Sedai used them, but the Aes Sedai didn't make them. They're older than the Aes Sedai. Yeah, and so, Loyal is like, they didn't understand them either. Right. They got stuff they could do with them, but they didn't make them. There's more to them than they perhaps understand, and Rand uses that, and he says, maybe they were actually made by people who don't channel, and the Dark Friends maybe have figured out the way you use them without the power. Let's just go do what we can do, chase the Dark Friends, get the stuff, and then we'll find a way to use yep, the stones. They'll find the secret, Rand's, the secret, secret. Loyal's like, okay, Rand. Let's go. They ride up out of the hollow. As they look around, ugh, the view is just off. It seems to twist their vision. They can look straight ahead. Everything looks fine. Mm -hmm. But out of the corners of their eyes, everything looks wonky. And, okay, you're 21 now. Makes me think of beer goggles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you turn your head fast, and whoa, and then everything settles in. Okay, looks good again. But (laughs) beer goggles, totally. Let's be real. Even if I didn't have, like, the knowledge of actual beer goggles, the concept can be simulated and definitely was something that we, like, made or put on back in, like, elementary school kind of thing to view the idea of bending perception. Just the actual goggles. Goggles, okay. Yeah, no, not beer. <laughs> Where are you going with goggles. that? <laughs> I didn't think you were doing beer in school. You, you just put goggles on that make the same effect. <laughs> like the, well, you know, you really wore simple. those goggles for science experiments, and they kind of did it. No. Too. No? Not at all. So you had different goggles you wore to simulate that? Yeah. You I did mean, that? Yeah. Oh, okay. In my brain, it often reminds me kind of like almost as if you have basically two glasses. Not glasses as in no, like I eyeglasses. You. Yeah, you but... can't see him symbolizing. He was yeah. holding his hands like two drinking two glasses. Two small drinking glasses over your eyes. And so the side... Like la- beer glasses. Glass. Not exactly. They're usually shorter, but more like shot glasses kind of. Anyways, the point of this is this place clearly isn't right. There's something off here. But again, let's get the dark friends. Huron says, yep, trail goes south. So, Let's go. Off to go. And that's the end of the chapter. It brings us to our last chapter for today. Chapter 14, 14 Wolf, Wolf Brother. Brother. We're going to jump to another perspective. We're going back, same morning, but to where the rest of the people are that have disappeared. Because they didn't disappear. Nope. They're Perrin, still where they camped. Matt, Ingtar, everybody else, 
They're there. They wake up and Rand, Loyal, and Huron have disappeared. What'd you do? Where'd you go? They're like, what? And they look and there's, wait a second, they're just gone. Their horses are gone, but there's no tracks. They just they didn't disappeared. go anywhere. There were guards taking shifts, protecting the... Yeah, the, I mean... And they didn't see anything. Matt makes a comment saying, maybe they just ran away. They got scared or tired or whatever. Perrin's about to throw something at him because he knows what Matt's thinking, you know. Ran, oh, ran away because he ran away, channel. channel thing, yeah. But, but literally, the, no, there's, there's no, no tracks. tracks. Can they fly? But they uh, well, have no can, answers. Can he fly? Not yet. Okay, they have no not necessarily. Ever, that was humor, guys. I, I wasn't spoiling humor, <laughs> or was I? Matt would be thinking, "Can he fly?" <laughs> but there, there's no no evidence, no trail, nothing they can do squat about. Ingtar is like, it makes no sense. I mean, if Rand ran off for some reason, he's thinking rejecting his duty. I talked to him about that. You know, maybe he decided he's just gonna get away. Then why would? But Loyal I don't think go. he'd do that. And Loyal, he's no gear. He can go wherever he wants. He's so not I guess obligated. It matter. But Huron, Huron had sniffer. Huron had a duty. He is. <laughs> How is my dad the child here? <laughs> Sorry, it was. Too easy. Duty is something that will come up over he and over. He said he had these... a duty. Yeah, duty will come up <laughs> over and over in these books. And if you can't keep a straight face, oh, if I man. say it, I was we're going to have a problem. I spent too much time over the years around young children, too. I was an educator. <laughs> it happens. And a dad. And a dad. My bad. Uh-huh. Huron wouldn't have run off. Ingtar is 100% positive. There's no way he would have just... Even if Rand ran off and tried to convince Huron to go with, Huron would not go with. He no. would be sticking with the Shinarans. But they have no evidence, nothing they can follow, and Ingtar is, we've got to get the horn. So they're not going to spend any more time trying to figure out something they can't figure out. But now they How the can we find the horn? going further away. They have no sniffer they to follow no the trail. They have no way to follow the trail. Well, Perrin, he steps up. Okay, he so, knows they need the dagger to save Matt. Yes. And he's got this thing. He doesn't like to think about it a lot, but you know, remember he can talk to wolves? It's almost like the name of the chapter is Wolf Brother or something. Almost. So he hasn't tried anything with wolves. In Not since weeks. he shut them out That's and right. learned he could do that. But he's like, all right, the need is great. Maybe I can reach out to wolves and see if they can help us in our time of need now. So he does. He opens his mind. Does a weird telepathy kind of thing. Know, just reaches out and instantly there are wolves. Boom. And they communicate. And hearing him, they know he's a two-leg. He's a human. And they go, are you Longtooth? <clears throat> and they pr- they send an image. It's Elias, the man we met yeah, with the wolves. And we need to you know, back up just to remind everybody... The wolves don't communicate with words at all. No, nah, they send images, images feelings, sense, feelings. Yeah, It's a weird jumble of things that wolf brothers can translate into words. Right. So he's able to put that picture together. This is Elias Machera, the man who introduced Perrin to wolf brothers. This whole thing of talking with wolves. He's like, no, I'm not him. I'm not him. And then they're like, oh, then we've heard of you. And they send a new image. Ooh. It's uh, it's an interesting image. Yes. Perrin doesn't love it. It's it's very large of him going on the attack and killing White Cloaks. It is an aggressive, young, raging bull. And their name for him that he translates is Young Bull. But they think very highly of him because he stepped up to defend wolves. He avenged wolves. Perrin, okay, I've got a connection now. 
So he shares with them the smell of Rand, Loyal, and Hiran. Now he knows Rand, Loyal, and Hiran's smell. Even though he shut the wolves out, we have noted he's been smelling and doing things more. Yes. We even noted in this book, Perrin described something as smelling wrong. You know, I kind of feel bad for Perrin in that sense of smell. Because set in the age that this is, with the kind of hygiene well, they would have had at that time... They have, There's a lot of things that don't smell real good, and he smells them all at a heightened level. They have a little bit more hygiene and sanitation than we often expect with this time, because it's not a pure medieval time but thing. But they've never talked about deodorant, for example. B.O. is no. bad. That now, being said... you multiply your sniffer by 10... I, I like to think that there's a slight numbness to it. When we I would agree. on ourselves I get you. experience a bad smell, it's like, whoa, it's so much different than everything else. But if everything smells that strongly... That's the norm. Yes, but you can differentiate smells. That said, I'm glad I don't live in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. Deodorant, I'm a fan. Yeah. Showers are nice. Oh, so nice. So he pushes the smells of these guys out. And the wolves are like, mm, no, we know them. They were part of your group. He gets an image back of them arriving where they are for the night. And he's like, and that's the last we that. smelled anything like that. Okay, leaves Perrin with one more move. He, he sends out the scent of Pat and Fane. He got that scent really strong when it he went down with Egwene one time to visit very, in the dungeon. Very wrong. Yeah. And he also sends the scent of Trollocs. He remembers wolves hate Trollocs. Oh, yeah. It's very easy to pin down that one. Yep. And pushing these joint smells out, instantly you hear wolves in the distance howling oh. and crying. Like everybody in the band can hear these guys. Oh, what the? They don't know what Perrin's doing, but they hear the wolves going off. They, it's a violent reaction. The wolves detest these smells. And they hate those trollocs, oh. but they seem to hate what Fane is that scent even more. Yeah, whatever it is, the even stronger revulsion. Perrin pushes the thought to the wolves, where? And he receives images and feelings that point him south. Trail's still going south. So now, okay, he's been all this time just basically standing there, having this mental thing going on, but the reaction to the Trollocs and Fane is so visceral that he reacts as well. Mm -hmm. He snarls. <laughs> he takes a step towards where the smell is from. and the, Okay, then he shakes himself out of this. Okay, I, I gotta disconnect from the wolves. Gotta be a man. But Matt notices, and he's like, uh, dude, are you all right? Uh, are all my friends going bad? Do we need to get some drugs or find an Aes Sedai or something? I mean, ugh. He's like, no, no, I'm Wait, fine. What kind of drugs they got here? They got herbs. Herbs, drugs, same thing. Hey. I know people who- Sometimes. They they like their herbs, and they're definitely drugs. You can't do it straight from the herb. You gotta you gotta do more with it. I, have, I lack knowledge in this area. I will admit that without any disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> No judgment, but that is not my game. Perrin says, okay, I've got to act with what I know. He goes to Ingtar. Yep. And he, he uh, says, all right. He tells him. We've lost our sniffer. I got something else going on that can help us still track the bad guys. I can talk to wolves. And Ingtar does not freak out, does not oh. think it's of the power. He actually kind of has heard of this before. He's heard of Elias Machera, that former warder. He knows That's the story of this guy who was a wolf brother. That we piece together from Elias with Perrin and then Perrin to Lan and all this mess. We've heard bits and pieces and Ingtar knows it. And Ingtar is like, hey, you can do that. I can work with that. We need to find this horn. I will take it. But, you know, the rest of the people... 
They not might everyone not will get, get this. it. And let's be real, people didn't really like when Elias had it. Nah. So you and me, psst, little secret. Let's say you're a sniffer. Yeah, you're, you're like Huron. You weren't sure you were, but you, now that you've met him, you understand it. You're a sniffer. So Ingtar announces, we're in luck. Uh, it turns out Perrin, traveling along here, has discovered he could sniff the same things Huron was doing. So he believes he's a sniffer. We're going to use Perrin now, and he's going to continue to lead us. And he says, south. They're still going south. Off they go. The The rest of the Shinarans are like, cool. Gives us direction. Let's go, man. They have no problem with it, just like Angtar said. And so we follow Perrin as they go. And Perrin is having a mental argument mm-hmm. <laughs> with the wolves. Because the wolves, they want to attack. They know right where Fane and the Trollocs are. And they just want to rip them to shreds. Fight, fight, kill, kill. But they don't care about humans. Because mm. humans taste bad. I thought this was very funny. They don't taste very good. <laughs> <laughs> They uh they they just want to get the Trollocs. And so Perrin's afraid if the wolves attack, the Dark Friends will escape and they'll take the horn, they'll take the dagger. And the wolves won't care anymore because they got the Trollocs. Yay! That's all that really matters. So he's mentally holding them back. They're like, oh, okay, but hurry, hurry, come on. Okay. But this is like taking a dog out hunting and not letting it go chase after the bird <laughs> you shot. So hard, so hard. Along the way that day... They discover they're being pursued. It's just one person. Just one person. Just on one a horse. horse. Seems to be riding straight for them. So they actually slow down. Let this person catch up. Actually looks like a pretty small person. A, a small little it looks like a woman. woman. Yeah. And when she pulls up, they realize this is someone we know. She's wearing brown. Varen, the one of the three disappearing. <laughs> I said die from our last chapter. She came here. She came here. She says, Moraine sent me to catch up with you guys because I believe, well, she believes, I agree, I may be able to be of assistance to you in your search. Whether or not everything that she explains is fully accurate or not, eh, but I mean, she's a nice Sedai, so take what you will. She notices Rand's gone and reacts. Rather, whoa, wait, wait, where's Rand? Where's Rand? And they don't know. So we don't know what to do about that. We're continuing after the Dark Friends. If uh, that unsettles you and you want to go back, uh, we can send a couple soldiers to escort you back. She's like, mm, nah, nah, I'll stay. I'll stay. But Matt she's less Perrin, excited. They get the real strong yeah. vibe. She didn't come for the horn. No. She's here for Rand. Because Matt and Perrin know the one thing that nobody else here knows. That's right. Rand can channel. Here's an Aes Sedai hunting a man who can channel. And she must know. The chapter ends with Perrin thinking, wherever you've gotten to, Rand, stay there. It's safer than here. Is it? Mm. We'll pick that up next time. That's right. It's a great place to stop. Thank you again for journeying along with us for our escapades through Wheel of Time content. Escapades, good word. Thank you. Continuing the great hunt. We invite you to subscribe if you haven't yet. If you are already a subscriber, way to go. Thank you for being with us. And another way you can help us out as we just try to share the love of our podcast more is tell people about it. Share it with people that you think might also enjoy it. And of course... You can share it with the people you don't know by giving us a rating and maybe a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to share in the growing community that is this podcast itself, you can reach out and talk, whether to us directly, our email, fantasyfortheages at gmail.com, social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or come chat with us and other listeners on Discord. Yeah, we have a number of people who are on Discord, our Discord server with us. 
I'll share the invitation link that you click and it'll just take you to Discord. If you aren't on Discord yet, it takes you to the web version where you're able to download. It's a free app that you can have on any device, computer, phone, iPad, whatever tablet you like. And you know, just be part of our community, yak about whatever you want, even correct us on things that's mm-hmm. happened already on Discord. We love it. One last way you can connect with us is become one of our patrons. We have a number of special benefits for those who support us on Patreon. It can be a dollar a month. It can be more. Depending on how much you want to support us, you get more and more benefits, such as being able to be mm-hmm. part of our live recordings or listen to special episodes we're creating just for our patrons we were just talking about exactly some of those that we're preparing to do now and if you're listening to this a year from now you already know there's content waiting for you on patreon (laughs) but only the special people get if you feel so moved thank you very much it's certainly not something we want to guilt anyone into but we're happy to do this free of charge but if you want to support us we will take your money thank you very much (laughs) All right, I think that's a good place to stop for today. What do you say? I've got nothing more. All right, we'll talk to you next time.